This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, yeah. breathe yeah. some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Get ready for some real talk with your hosts, Judy Cho and Laura Spath. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my friend and co host, Laura Spath. And today we are excited to be joined by a guest, Kevin Dolan. He is the founder of the Natalism Conference, and we are going to talk a little bit about what Natalism even is. Hi, good to be here. Tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and kind of how you, this is like a very non-nutrition con- uh, conversation that we're going to have. And I think it's really applicable sure. to people in our audience and to the type of lifestyle that a lot of us tend to live of trying to regain our health and, you know, separate ourselves from the medical industry that like being trapped into that world and looking for freedom through health. And that's one of the reasons why I think we wanted to talk with you today. So we'd love to hear who you are and a little bit, because I think you're a brand new person for most uh, most of our audience. I started a group uh, called Exit about two years ago, focused on getting guys independent from the W-2 system, from the banking system, from the food system, just sort of uh, uh, disentangling ourselves from all these uh situations that are controlled by people that, uh, that don't have our best interest at heart and, and trying to take back some sovereignty for ourselves. And I had a conversation with one of the guys who's now my co-founder at the Natalism Conference, uh, Drew Gorham. He was asking me, like, what, uh, how do you know you're winning with this group? How do, how do we know that we're, we're succeeding? And he, and he, he posited, like, is it, is it, uh, we're succeeding at building families. We're having kids. And I said, no, I think it's actually grandkids, which is like, mm. a, it's just a rotten KPI. Cause we don't know if we did it for like another 40 years, but, um, but, uh, that's the guiding star of, of what I'm trying to accomplish. Like why, why I think it matters that people be independent, have independent income, have, have able to educate their kids independently. It's all because, I, the sense is if we don't, um, and maybe this gets into sort of why, why a natalism conference, because these, these institutions, essentially all of them just militate against family, against fertility, against, uh, men and women falling in love and then them staying together and then them successfully having children and then raising those children so that those children have children like it's it's this profoundly contraceptive uh, set of ideas uh, and instead of institutions, and so everything that we're doing is is oriented around that. So the, the purpose of the conference is essentially, you know, this is something that Elon Musk is talking about, Tucker Carlson's talking about it, lots of people in like sort of the tech and investment space 
um, and lots of people in the, in the, the health space, because uh, some of this is cultural and some of it's medical, it's microplastics or it's, uh, it's uh, hormonal medications uh, that are, that are disrupting fertility. And so just to, I want to share a little context for people. Sorry. I think what, what you're talking about is this decline in population. You know, we hear from Mm -hmm. the climate side of the government or the people who are climate activists saying that there's too many people on the planet, that the people are destroying the planet. When in reality, the birth rate is in decline, the population for the number of jobs, the number of people that we need simply to work and maintain our infrastructure that we have created in this modern society, like that number of people is we're going to run out of people to be able to maintain this infrastructure that we've created. Or in general, the birth rate is in decline. You know, most people, I'm 38. So most people in my generation have not even started to have kids yet. You know, I have two small kids, but knowing that my parents had more than that, the average number of kids that people are having is declining. The average age that people are having kids is raising. People think that they can just wait until they're 40 and then start a family. And thankfully, you know, I started at 28 and that's already late compared to previous generations, but waiting longer and longer, you, like you said, you end up medically not being able to have kids. We see that a lot in this world that we're in of health because people then try to have kids later in life, but their body is not healthy enough to do that. Yeah. And I imagine that that some of your interventions are, I guess I'm guessing, but are, are, are some of your interventions like somebody who's trying to get their health in order so that they can, you know, so that an IVF cycle can succeed or something like that? Oh, hundred percent. Or they can't get pregnant because they have PCOS. We see a lot of that in women, they're insulin resistant, um, or they're dealing with other types of autoimmune conditions and their body is just not, you know, from a female perspective, their body's not able to have babies. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, you, you bring up sort of the economic perspective. There's the, there's the, I would say like the economic perspective and the psychological perspective, there's, you know, yes, uh, you know, our generation is never going to see a dime of social security uh, and probably not Medicare. Like the, the, the number of people who you, you, you would essentially have to like enslave um, that generation of kids to produce the kind of income that's going to be necessary to, uh, to fund what our, what our parents understand is like right. the, the standard of care. Uh, so it's just not going to happen. And uh, retirement ages are going to go up just by necessity. But, and that's like, that's all to, and like sort of Detroitification neighborhoods emptying out and then the property values collapsing and people who have banked a lot of retirement on their value of their home, you know, that's going to be up in the air. Uh, but then there's just the psychological element of um, the the people who discover there was a, there was a woman who was like she, I can't remember it was some major publication I can't remember what publication it was but she was put up as like the poster child of like freeze your eggs like right this is going to be that just happened they recently the, they did the follow up profile on her when like all of her everything she froze they all failed mm. and she and she talks about like. I think she said she like screamed like an animal. Like, like it's this horrible, horrible experience uh, that I think, I think because from like a quarterly profit standpoint and from like a tax base standpoint, all of these, all of these institutions are, are incentivized to keep you focused on like, just deliver, make money, take vacate, like uh, 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 earn and consume in this very right. immediate sense. And, and, and no one's really looking out for your like long-term happiness. And so you, I mean, you, you kind of have to take responsibility for like, uh, but, but, but the fact is people are being lied to, they're being, they're being just, just flat lied to about what's possible and what's likely. And it's really altering, uh, well, it's just gonna, it's going to cause a, a, a tremendous amount of unhappiness. Um, in the next 10 years. I have a quick question. You brought up that a lot of the way everything works is intentionally, or maybe it's not intentional. That's my question. Uh, Being a contraceptive, is it intentionally? Do you think it's intentional that this is all going on? 
Not really. Like, I mean, uh, maybe like, you know, there's, there's, there's probably some people who are consciously, you know, sort of population control types. Um, and certainly in, in, in countries like China, there was obviously some deliberate policy, uh, discouraging family. But I think, I think fundamentally what's happening is, uh, women in their twenties are tremendously valuable to, to the workforce, to, to the workforce. And, uh, and, and there's a, there's a very easy argument to make that's like, and it depends on what, it depends on like what you see as like your terminal values. Like what do you see as, as like the, the sort of point of life, right? But if the point of life is like hedonic experience, like, like I want to travel, I want to see the world, I want to have lots of free time and lots of leisure and lots of pleasure, uh, you are sort of asking women to take the most valuable, like the, the, the sort of best decade of their lives for that. And instead do a lot of really hard work. That's not high status. Like that the people don't value the way that they should. And furthermore, you're asking them to do that with a man who's, uh, income is increasing, whose status is increasing and who she ha- like when she has passed this like golden window, she's got to count on him to stick around and help with everything they've built together. And that right. trust has just plummeted, just collapsed. And so I, I, I don't think and like there's, there's sort of a, a narrative that like, you know, among among like single men like all these women are are self-absorbed and they're materialistic and yada yada it's like no like a lot of these women and if you ask them they'll tell you like they 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 would love to have the family and the whole that whole bit but it's like the paycheck clears like like that they can get that they know they can get that and this this proposition that that you're asking them to accept is like incredibly high risk and so uh so I, I think a lot of what has happened, uh, the, you're going back to your question. Your question was, is it deliberate? I think what's happened is just that a lot of institutional trust has just collapsed to the, 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 the scaffolding around which we used to build families uh, uh, has, has collapsed and we don't trust each other. And uh, I mean, you, you look at the way men and women talk about each other online. It's just brutal. It's just unbelievably brutal. And so, uh, so yes, some of some of what we got to do, like the pro- the problem with like the current basket of uh, incentives around fertility is like, well, let's pay mom or let's cut her taxes uh, to incentivize having kids, and it's like number one, those don't even approach just the cost of child caring, of child care. But 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 even more than that, they don't even touch the opportunity cost of taking the time off when you have to take the time off. Like it's not, you, there's no way to make that the, the economically rational decision by, by cutting a check. And, and we're so also doing, really, yeah. we're also doing the worst of both where they miss time out of the workplace. They're, you know, the, they're missing out on those opportunities, like you mentioned, but also they're given almost no time at home, like the, you know, maternity leave and the opportunity to bond with your child, you're thrown back into the workforce because you're looking for that paycheck and that security. Our society is now requires two income households in order to have a house and the cost of the, you know, buying a home or even renting a home in most places, the cost of daycare, the cost of living in general requires two incomes, which is why then unfortunately women are thrown back into the workforce so quickly before they've had time to spend with their children really. And you have daycares and schools and after school programs raising your children. So, the, yeah. and the cost of that is tremendous. So, having more than one or two kids is astronomical. Yeah. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the two income trap. It's actually by Elizabeth Warren, who uh, has gone in a completely different ideological direction since she was right. a, an economist. But, um, incredible, incredible breakdown of like where the money is really going. It's like, it's, it, I, I think, I think she came around to like, and you know, this was, this was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So like the value of a dollar was different, but it's basically like 10 grand. The average woman's uh, uh, take home after you subtract 
well, we've got the childcare and we've got the extra car and we've got the, uh, the, uh, the, a lot of it is the nice neighborhood because yeah. it's like, well, my kids are going to be alone more and I need them to be safe. And I need it. So, so it's like, it's so important and, and they're going to be acculturated by whatever public school system we put Correct. them in. So it had better be a really good one. And so this, it's creating this intense competition for the school district and the neighborhood. And, uh, and, and anyway, she, she sort of calculated out what the take home is and it's like 10 grand, um, for a year's work. So it's like, it's like sub minimum wage, uh, w- once you factor in all those costs and the, the reason that happened again, going back to like who, who did this and why is like half the economy, you know, a hundred years ago, half the thought and effort and work was being done illegibly. It was being done. And, and like, of course the, the sort of feminist frame of that is like, well, they weren't being paid. They were sort of like, like ensurfed, Right. But more importantly, they weren't paying taxes and it wasn't showing up on a corporate balance sheet and it, wa- it wasn't legible, visible to these institutions. So they couldn't exploit it. They couldn't make use of it. And, and so it's this competition between like, who, who should you be working for? And, and, and basically the corporations won the argument because uh, again, the check always clears, check always goes through. So it's a, uh, it's a really, really challenging problem. And so the, the conference the point of the conference is basically to uh, a, see if there are global solutions, like see if there are big picture policy solutions that could be generated to make a difference here. But if that's not possible, like how can we, as people who care about this, take care of our communities, our kids, our cultures, and, and make sure that those are preserved. And it's going to be day one is going to be, you know, your, your, your standard symposium with speakers and panels and a reception. And, uh, then day two is going to be, uh, my partner, Drew Gorham is going to run a curated workshop. His, 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 uh, background is in product design and, and, uh, innovation consulting. So he's going to be running these workshops on day two that are basically like groups of eight to 10 people, and, and, you know, including like the, the, the VIPs, the experts that we invite that are on the sort of the, the masthead of the conference. Uh, so you're going to get to work with those people to try to develop, you know, a product or a policy solution or, or something that, uh, that moves the needle. So, so it's going to be a really, really, uh, really exciting time. I, so I guess I didn't realize that the reason the there's less babies around is that moms want to go or women want to go out and make a paycheck. I thought it was more, or some of the reason was the world is becoming a harder place. Women are not wanting to bring children into this world. Maybe that's totally not real, but, and then also just that it is more expensive to raise more kids. So I will just have one less or a couple less so that we can afford it. And so I guess that's been my mindset of why we have a decline in population. Well, there's a, there's a demographer who did a, a, a documentary called Birth Gap, which is okay. a really interesting documentary. Basically, one of the things that he discovered when he looked at the, the fertility data was it, it's actually not one or two fewer kids. Mm-hmm. It's, it's if you have the first kid, your family will probably reflect about the same size trends mm. that it did in 1970. Okay. It's getting to that first kid. And, and, and so there's, it's what he calls it is, is epidemic unplanned childlessness. Uh, and it's, it, he, he, he breaks it down. It's about 10% women with women who just, I don't want kids. Like I've right. like, as a, as a terminal goal, I don't want kids. Uh, 10%, another 10% is it's, it's, it's medical. It's, uh, you know, we weren't able to, but then another 80% is, I wanted kids, but I didn't find the right person or it didn't work out or something like that. Circumstantial. And essentially his, his argument is like, how do we explain that 80%? What's, what's going on there? And it does seem to be in large part that, uh, the focus on, well, I, I think it is, it is like lack of, lack of trust and lack of suitable partners. So like women have, uh, 
more education than men now. They earn, uh, in a lot of cases, more than the pool of men that they're dating. And uh, his his take is basically just sort of a biological imperative that like that doesn't work. The man doesn't like it. The lady yeah. doesn't like it. It's it's a problem. And uh, and and that's well. Go ahead. What you got a thought? No, you, this is what's fun. My husband's a stay at home dad, and I'm the primary uh, caregiver for our household. But it is true. It's not a natural thing for this dynamic to happen. We have that's how I grew very, up, by the way. Yeah. We have to be very cognizant, but we homeschool as well. My, my husband homeschools, I work um, and in a very corporate job. And so we have to be very cognizant though of like, we are leaning into the opposite of the normal male female relationship and we can't lose some of that dynamic. So there is an element of like in the home, Chris has to still, like, I still need to respect him as my husband and the position of authority that that gives him. You know, he needs to feel that he is contributing as a man. There is this natural need for men to contribute, to feel like they're um, providing for their family. And if there's not this financial contribution, like he has to be able to feel that from other ways. We've found like physical ways for him to maintain that. He trains jujitsu. He, you know, does other things because otherwise I do think you lose a lot. And over time, because this is an unnatural pairing that we have fallen into for the sake of our family, it would be very easy for me to be resentful, for him to be resentful, for this dynamic to change in the sense that both or one of us is looking for other partners. And so we work very hard proactively to maintain this natural role that men and women should be playing in a marriage and in a household because it is different. And the more women work, it's interesting. There's you know, this manosphere element, most of our audience is not familiar with that at all, but it's like this element of Twitter and all of these men and this toxic masculinity or people call it, but it's all about these men who this top 10% of men have the pick of all of these women and they can have multiple partners of all of these women. And so the average male no longer is able to match up with the average female yeah. simply because of the fact that these men are able to gather up all of the women, right? And then over time, this is the part of the problem with dating apps and a lot of this non-monogamous relationships and the culture that's created with a lot of the younger generation right now is that there's all these men or even this top tier of women with all of these different partners. And then nobody who's like an average male or female ends up finding a, a mate, let alone people who are on the bottom tier of social hierarchy, in terms of wealth, looks, health, fitness, like who are those people ever going to find? You used to be competing with like five other dudes. Right. Or, or in your class or in your neighborhood. And now you're competing with like a million. Right. And, and the, uh, and, and what that does to you, I, I mean, I think, I think it does different things to men and women, but one of the things that it does to you, is like women will receive attention from a type of guy who is not going to marry her, mm. right? But she's thinking like, there's something I can do to get that guy to marry me. And it's like, maybe there isn't. Like, like, like maybe you're priced out and that's such a, such an impossible conversation to have with a person. Like, like, like maybe you have a a level (laughs) and like, that's, that's so that, and that's, that's a brutal conversation. Nobody wants to have it. And I mean, I don't want to have that conversation with any individual. Um, but it's like, yeah, the, the, the nature of the, the potential mates that we're being exposed to and even potentially like receiving sexual attention from uh, it's, it's just for, we're just not built for it. We're not built to have that kind of experience. And one of the guys that's coming to the conference is actually working on a dating app called uh, keeper.ai, which is uh, it's built around cause like Tinder and Bumble and all, all the different matchmaking services, they, you, you stop being a customer once you find happiness, Right you you end as a revenue stream for them and so uh it it creates this really perverse incentive to kind of keep you on the hamster wheel and Mm. so one of the things that he's trying to fix and that he's going to kind of bring to the conference and talk about is how do we create how do we create a network where the incentives between 
the 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 man and the woman and the service are aligned toward let's get you guys permanently happy and uh so it's it's you know there's 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 things in the works there but uh yeah what is a solve for you know we just discussed that women are being more educated maybe they're getting more uh paid better jobs so that now there's less competition with the male that's maybe not even making as much what is the solve for that other than women not get educated and obviously that's not the answer I yeah know so one- i mean go ahead no, I was just going to say that I know one thing that we can do is in mainstream media, not uh, every sitcom show, even when I was younger mm. and it's been a while, they make fun of the man. I, I see it. And I have two boys, so I'm highly conscious of it now. I see in every show, the dad is the person to make fun of. Dad is the the dumb one. Yeah. Dad is the one that, you know, just a lump on the sofa. And I see it. And I started with when I was younger, I was married with children, right? Al Bundy was a person to be made, make fun of. And sure. I could see one way we can support that is no longer just emasculating a lot of the men. But other than that, are there solutions where women can see their males as equals? Yeah. Well, And, and just before I address that, like having children in itself is such a profound psychological transformation because mm-hmm. like... I, you know, I, a lot of my like single friends will have this like really pat, like, we just gotta, just gotta stop teaching women to read. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and, and like, I, I, you know, even when I was single, that would have struck me as silly, but like, but now I've got this little girl in my house who like thinks like me and talks like me and like, she's got a little bit of me. There's a little part of myself that's in a female body. Right. And, um, and it, and you're, and you know, my wife, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's not white, but she's got these little blonde boys. And so when she hears people talk about white people and, and she's like, those are my kids. What are you, <laughs> you talking about my kids? It really transforms. Uh, and, and, and I think a huge part of our, uh, dysfunction that we're headed into is not just the economic dysfunction, but it's the dysfunction of people who haven't closed those psychological loops and they're not thinking about the long term because they don't have any little people running around who need to live in that long term. Right. Uh and so but but uh or they even well, think that, that like things don't affect them and certain policies and certain government things that like oh that's not ever yeah. going to affect me because you don't have to worry about what's going to happen next for your kids after you're gone or your grandkids. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I've actually lost the thread of your original question. I, I said I was going to come back to it, and then I forgot. Well, I, oh, she was talking about the sitcoms and then just, like, talking oh. about all these big, dumb males. But that's the TikTok culture also is our generations or the younger generation's version of that is, like, complain about your spouse online. I mean, like, I get nothing suggested to me on, you know, Instagram except for these reels about, like, husbands and wife making fun of each other. Yeah. Yeah, you said yeah, one. Like- I sent one to my husband as a joke, and now that's all I'm inundated with constantly <laughs> because they want you to just to be irritated at each other all the time. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, so, but but if if the question is um, not educating women, not having women in the workforce, I mean, I I actually do, and this is something that that uh, the demographer that I mentioned, Stephen Shaw, he talks about this as well. It's like you're not, it, it, it would be foolhardy to exclude women from all of the intellectual and, and, uh, and professional activity. Having said that, like your twenties are this incredibly important time for having and raising kids. And so is there potentially a way to structure things such that women can jump in when their kids are old enough to go to school and be, uh, be competitive in that, in that workplace and, and, and do the things that they want to do in that domain. Once this like very time sensitive component of life, uh, is behind them. 
Oh, I also think we've lost this nature of raising families in groups and with families. You look at other cultures and future generations, you weren't living in a house by yourself. I live in Arizona. My mom lives in Indiana. My brother and his family live in another state. Like we all are separate. But not only do you have, when you combine people into networks and the grandparents and the cousins, and you have bigger families who all network together, you pull your resources. Imagine having a compound with two or three houses on it. And it's like my brother and his family and my mom and the families, and you're raising your kids and your family in these networks. And then things like this financial burden of who's going to watch my kids. Like my husband and I didn't have a date night for years and years and years. Cause we just, we had no family in Arizona. We had no people yeah. here. Like my mom would fly into town once a year and like watch the kids so we could go to dinner together. Like Imagine the differences in your resources and abilities. And I think we've lost that as a society. It's all about move out, go out on my own, find a person, raise my family on my own. And you've, you're missing this community aspect that I think is so crucial for finances and for families. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think some of what has happened is, yes, the nuclear family has, has broken away from the extended family and become more atomized. And that's some of that's, uh, I think most of that actually is just uh, physical mobility. You know, once, once the interstates were up and, and there were airplanes, there were jobs all over the country and everybody scattered to the winds. And um, I think remote work is going to have really interesting consequences for that uh, mm -hmm. because people, the, the, the possibility of staying close to your family uh, it's, it's a lot more economically viable than maybe it was 20 years ago. And I think also, uh, Malcolm and Simone Collins, who are other, uh, people thinking about this problem, they're going to be at the conference as well. They, they talk about how, um, the nuclear family, uh, they refer to it as a psyop because they're being a little provocative, but like basically that it's, a it's, a, a relatively recent innovation that is not like it's, you're not returning to the ancient tradition of your great, great, great grandparents. When you have a nuclear family with dad working and mom staying at home there, th the model they present is like a family uh, for most of human history has been an economic unit where it's almost like a business, like the family is itself a business. And, and, and so it's not this uh, dad goes off someplace else and brings home money and then all the family, and I think this, going back to your thing about respecting men, it is so hard to respect your parents when all you see them do is consume. Like they go do valuable things someplace else. You don't get to see that or understand mm -hmm. that. And then they come back home and it's, I'm just going to enjoy what I've earned. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to eat. I'm going to, you know, play. Uh, it's, it's. So, so anyway, the, the, the original model being uh, uh, a man and a woman raising a family as essentially a business, I mean, usually like a farm, but sometimes it's a shop, but like the family, and you see this with immigrant communities too, like immigrant communities will have their family business where, uh, you know, everyone is involved. And I think that is a more sort of durable and healthy model than, uh, sort of the madmen, you know, vision of what a family should be. You know, if I'm listening to this, my question is, well, what if we don't care about this issue? So obviously if the, you know, like what are the ramifications? I heard a podcast with you on it and it was stuff that I never thought about. Um, I care about my kids and the future generation that they are living in, that they are not the only people that still eat meat and that hopefully they're not foraging to find meat. Right. But, and how do they find still, a spouse? You've mentioned right. that, right? Yeah. And Huge that problem. there's more like-minded people. And I, I think I worry about that all the time, but you guys in that podcast took it to an extra level that I never even considered about who's going to take care of them if there's no one having kids and stuff. And so if, maybe if yeah. you can share some of the, what are the ramifications if we don't fix this problem that people are, we are becoming a smaller and smaller population? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, the, you can see it happening in Japan and Korea right now. Um, the, the, he, uh, in this documentary, I just watched it. So I keep, I keep going back to it. 
Okay. Um, but there's this, there's these towns in Japan where it's like 75 year old people running the shops and running the, like running the economy, this like skeleton crew for the like 95 year olds in the nursing homes. And nobody's coming to visit these people. And Japan is a very, very wealthy country. So like they're not suffering the way that they will be suffering if this problem isn't addressed. But even so they have no one and they've had no one for decades. And, and they were saying like, yeah, once a week we get a jumper, like jumping out of a building. Oh, and it's, I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it's like, you can't imagine what that would be like. And, uh, and I think a lot of people, it's like your, 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 your besties, your, your chosen family, this, the social group that, that a lot of people are building. That's just not, that's just not going to persist. It's not, they don't stay. Um, and, 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 and so like for, for on that level, but also, I mean, uh, and again, again, Japan is, is, is wealthier per capita than the United States. And a lot of these people who are not as wealthy as, as sort of Japanese pensioners, it, the system is not going to be there to support you. And, um, e- even in terms of, even in terms of, the basics, like the real basics of staying alive. It's not going to be there. And so one of the things that we're looking at uh, is like, how do we, how do we help people invest? How do we help people save? Like, what can we build that will make that problem not so awful? Uh, But it's going to be pretty awful. Like, I mean, it's one of the, one of the problems that we're seeing is like, you know, we can make more newborns right now. We can't make any more two-year-olds. Mm, the, right. the, they're they're here that's that's what we get um and so like if you were to if you were to aggressively nose up on this like right now uh you're still gonna have social security still going bankrupt medicare like it's, these these programs are not going to be fundable and so like it, it's it's yeah it's definitely goes way beyond like uh trying to create a maximally enriching environment for my kids and your kids. It's, it's like about keeping the lights on. I, in your podcast, I heard you talk about the rate in Korea and the, the kid rate is just next to none. And I'm, so my parents are Korean. I wasn't, I was born and raised in America, but I see it in our extended family where the mom now works too. And then there's a lot of, it's just a, I don't want to live under my mother-in-law because the families would all live in the same house. And then the paycheck would go to the mother-in-law or the mom and, and then husband would go work. And so the, the wife would then take care of the home, take care of the children, make sure everything's working in the house. And so the narrative Mm -hmm. in the culture became, well, if you just work and not get married and have children, you could live your life however you want. And I started seeing advertising like that when we would go visit Korea and I see more and more people not have children. And then the ramifications are, well, there will never be a person that will even manage this subway, right? Or that will have the stores open to have these cheap places that you can eat while you're busy building your career. And I think that these are the things that no one is thinking about right now, because even if your kid is successful, the world will not work with just your kid. And that's what is the gap right now. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, I mean, these. What's what's interesting about Korea and Japan is that they're actually like a, a lot of times this problem gets blamed on like sexual libertinism, sexual revolution, okay. uh, 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 more a moral failing, <clears throat> excuse me, of of people. And I'm agnostic on that, but like Korea and Japan have. They're, they're very patriarchal cultures. They're very like conservative sexually out of wedlock births are still very, very rare. Contraception in fact was, was banned, was, was banned in Japan until 1990, I think. Uh, so, so a lot of this gets attributed 
to the pill or gets a trip, like all these things. And Japan is just sort of this, and, and Korea also, just this really interesting counter example of like, no, nah, it's not exactly that. Um, because, because Japan and Korea, their, their decline started in the seventies, oh, okay. uh, long before these things were, were an issue. And I really think that it is, uh, it's, it's sort of this atomized, individualized consumer culture. And it is very much like the fact is like you are getting out from under people who had power, like it, whether it's, whether it's like, Oh, you know, my husband runs the checking account and that's this really like uh, instrument of control that he has over me. Like, I think, I think a lot of families, uh, had trust and had cohesion and they thought of themselves as one thing. And so that worked, but when it didn't work, it was really awful. And those were the stories that formed the basis of like, all right, we got to reform the divorce laws. We got to reform, you know, all this and that. And, and you, you, you allude to a similar situation with um, the extended family. It's like grandma can be kind of a tyrant (laughs) and, and, and like, that's, uh, it is not crazy that young people don't all want to be under that sort of uh, that system. And, and I, I think whatever comes next and like, I don't pretend to have all the answers. Like one of the reasons we, we put together this conference was like, gosh, I, I need to talk to as many smart people as I possibly can. Cause like, I don't know what to do about this. Um, but, but I think whatever the solution is, there has to be a way to get men and women and parents and children and all of, we have to be able to trust each other again. We have to be able to, uh, we have to be sort of one in a, in a sense that we are really not as a, as a culture. Um, and it's unfortunate because culture is doing its best to tear people apart. That's the social media yeah. element. That's the more recent element, right? This, like you said, this population decline isn't necessarily happening because of contraception and the recent abortion um, rules or regulations or whether or not they're easily accessible or not. This is a deeper issue than that. But I do think this divisiveness is a lot of what's tearing like networks and groups and people apart. Like you go into a first date uh, and I mean, it's, it's been a while since I, I've been married for 13 years, but, but like, I hear the stories of people's first dates and it's, it's like this, almost like a standoff. Like it's this yeah. really, really high pressure, like, uh, a low trust right. environment. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a huge problem. I think, I think, I think there is going to be some element of like, we got to change the way we date. I think, uh, there's, there's also this element of um, assortative mating where uh, if, if the only places to meet a spouse are either in college or in your workplace, because like, oh, you can't do that anymore, though. God forbid well, you ask a coworker too. out that you can't do that. Right. I, I work in a very <laughs> corporate environment. You can't say something nice. You can't ask your coworker for coffee. Like you have to be very yeah. careful. That culture of meeting people. I mean, I met my husband at work. We probably dated for too long before we told HR and then one of us had to transfer departments. But like, you have to be so careful of that kind of stuff now because you, I mean, you ask somebody for coffee and you're getting fired for sexual harassment. Right, right. Which means that you, you are relegated to people you don't know. Right. People, the only way that you're, you're supposed to build trust with somebody like by going parasailing with them, like as opposed to having this like, day-to-day experience and, and understanding what they're about. And, and when it is the case that, that, uh, that you're doing it in the workplace, the odds of being in a state of competition with that person, because mm. you're going to have a lot of the same skill sets, you're going to have a lot of the same experience, you're going to have a lot of the same educational uh, background. Uh, it's, it's a lot harder to cross those, uh, those boundaries and the expectation is just that you just don't like you, you're supposed to marry somebody who's like, like you in all those ways. And, uh, 
makes it much harder to have like a complementary relationship, which it sounds like you're having to kind of engineer, like, how do we, how do we make that happen? Um, which like, it's, I mean, again, that was how I grew up that my, my mom and my stepdad. Um, and like, you can, you can make it work on the individual level, but like, does it scale? Right. right? Like, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you apply that across the board? Very, very challenging. Um, so yeah, I, 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 uh, I think the, the dating environment has to change some kind of way. I mean, like, like the, the way it will change, uh, without intervention is the wheels are going to come off and, and our, our systems of, uh, connecting with people and, and uh, getting the basics that we need are going to stop working. And then we're going to have to revert to more fundamental uh, ways of doing it, which is like not fun um, and, 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 and really messy. So like, and, and Malcolm Collins, another one of the guys who's coming to the conference has said like his mission basically is to, is to broker a soft landing. Like how can we make it, uh, how can we make it gentler? How can we make it uh, more of a choice that we make rather than a set of circumstances that are imposed on us? Um, so let me that's, ask I think a pretty, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. So let me ask you this, the, the conference itself or like, it feels like there's nothing you can do about it outside of just like have more kids. Right. Which obviously I'm not going to do. Judy's not going to do like we, I think the majority of our audience is past the point in their life. They're having grandkids um, or in that stage of their life. And a lot of us are kind of done. And even to looking at who would come to this conference outside of single people looking to meet someone and have a bunch of kids, like who is this geared towards or like, what is the, the mindset behind that or what can be done, I guess, is what you're trying to figure out there, but what can be done outside of like, I'm not going to have any more kids. Yeah. So I, I actually suspect that most of the people that are going to be coming to this have kids. Um, but I think, I think there will also be a lot of singles. I, I basically it's, so if you're single, it's like, how, oh, I care about this because how do I, how do I solve the problem of me finding someone? Um, if I'm, married and trying to have a kid it's i'm i'm interested for the the uh the conversation around fertility and the conversation around like gender dynamics and and like how how we relate to one another and how we can make that healthier and stronger um and increase the trust if you've got kids then i think it's like how do i acculturate my own kids and how do i connect them with other families that mm. have a similar orientation toward this so that they can have kids. How do I deal with their nutrition? How do I deal with their, uh, just sort of their exposure to media? Like what, what is actually the driver of this unplanned childlessness so that I can, uh, steer my own kids away from it if possible, um, or create an environment that's, that's healthier. So I, I, like the, the reason that, that I got interested in this, I have six kids. Um, you're doing your part. Well, I definitely (laughs) didn't. I definitely didn't get interested in this because I was like, I want to show everybody how to be just like me. Like, it's not that I, I, I felt, I felt completely adrift. I felt completely confused about like, what on earth am I going to tell my boys? Right. When it's their turn and who are they going to find? And my daughters, like what, what is going to be there? For, and, and like, I feel this intense urgency. Like my oldest is eight and I'm like, I've got like eight years. Okay. Listen, Judy's to- got a nine-year-old. I got a nine-year-old. This is where we get people <laughs> together. We start a compound. We go back to arrange marriages. We, you know, <laughs> we like, you find your community. I yeah, honestly yeah. think, I honestly think, and this is just me being faith-based, but I really think the attack is, from a darker source, uh, you know, the, if you think about marriage, it's as a Christian, it's the marriage is the relationship with God. And I I don't think it's on accident that marriages are being attacked right now. I think it's totally. And again, that's my faith. And I don't want to press that upon other people, but I think it's 
people need to start valuing like what is like you, I think what you said at the very beginning of this whole talk is what is the value of my life? What, what am I trying to achieve? Right. I see people trying to get more money, trying to get more status. And it's like, for what, like, what are you doing it for? And for me, it's, I hope I can create a better future for my children, but what does that all entail? Right. And so for me, an important thing is them learning about God and the Bible and understanding and in another way is I try to treat my husband in a way that they see as reflective of, I need to marry somebody that will treat me the same that mom treats dad, because that is yeah. what's normal, right? And so I try to do those things. But I think the bigger picture, and this is just coming from the religious lens of, I think it is purposely that if you destroy marriages, you destroy children, and you destroy the population and how do you fix that other than changing people's values? And I think that's part of it, right? And obviously nutrition, if people are more awakened, they will know maybe mm-hmm. we don't listen to the mainstream news and stuff, but I, I see the dilemma and it makes me sad because I do have two young boys, yeah. but I don't know. I I come from the same uh, orientation toward this in terms of my own approach. Okay. And I guess I, I I talk more about the other stuff just because it's, it's, well, okay. So panda bears, right? Like panda bears are really struggling to reproduce, right? Okay. <laughs> At large. Okay. Right. There's not like a handful of panda bears that are checking out. And, and I think if you, if you were to make the case that like, the panda bears are um, uh, uh, morally deficient relative to their great grandparents. Like mm-hmm. they, they didn't have the right panda bear values that are like, it's like, like it could be true. Like maybe it is true, but like what, what action does that, how do I um, preach to the panda bears? And, and I think so. So I think in terms of like generating problems or generating uh, uh, solutions to these problems, uh, I, I, I'm sort of attacking it from the lens of let's let's start from the assumption that people are like trying to do the right thing and see if we can help okay. them do the right thing. But but like I totally agree. Like I, I think that there is a fundamental values question that has to change. And I think um, it's just it's I guess what I'm trying to do is there's like a we're asking all these people to um, jump off a motorcycle over a Canyon. And um, there is an element of like, you got to be brave. Right. And you got to be like, you got to believe and you got to be brave and you got to have faith and all that. But also, can I make the Canyon narrower? Right. So it's like, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to focus on making the Canyon narrower and then like, all right, now it's time to be brave. Now it's time to, you know, uh, because, because like, I, I know of guys who hear and, and ladies who hear the sermons and for the men, it's the sermon of like, stop playing video games, stop looking at porn, stop. And it's like, they should, they should. And, and for women, it's like, you know, don't be a girl boss and don't like, don't uh, be this materialist, whatever, you know, uh, live, eat, pray, love situation. That should happen, yes. But like, uh, if I start from that approach with them, they're going to tell me, you have no freaking idea what I'm up against. You have no idea. You're an old man who is married and kids and you don't understand the current generations. And you, well, and, and I mean, that's been true forever, but like, I actually see what these people are going through and I'm like, I, I don't get it. Like, it's way harder and I don't know what I would do in their situation. Right. And, and so it's, it's, uh, I think once you've established that trust, then you can start to say like, I, I have, I, have I drawn the contours of your problem set? Have, have I, have I encapsulated how difficult it is for you? Have I acknowledged that? And then I can say, let's work on it. You know, I I totally get it. I mean, I think it's, you're approaching it a lot more tactically. And I mean, we do that with our diet, right? So if people, 
can eat a meat-based diet, they're going against the narrative by eating a food that supposedly has way too much saturated fat that will cause heart disease. But once people see, oh my gosh, I do get my health back eating the foods that we are told not to ever eat or limit as much as possible. Well, once people start getting their health back and their brain fog dissipates, then what else are we now being lied to or not being told? And so I absolutely agree. So I I use the same mechanisms, right? So if I can preach about nutrition, and then if you can get that back, what else can you heal in your life and in your families and such? And then that's how I can reach more people. So I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to crack open that narrative armor and, uh, and, and yeah, anything that makes that easier is is valuable. And even this is a totally different topic. Like so much of our audience is open-minded to meat and to cholesterol and to all of these other things. But then looking at, you know, a lot of people have awakened to maybe the ill intentions behind big pharma recently. But then the minute that you mentioned the school systems, they're like, wait, 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 wait. Or now this, this, this topic, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people of our audience being like, you guys are getting too crazy. Like this is a little out there. So it's interesting that we, you can be open-minded and red pilled about so many things, but then there's a whole new topic. You know, I'm speaking at a conference coming up soon and they're all very open-minded about government and this type of stuff we're talking about, but then I'm going to come in and talk to them about red meat and nutrition. And I know they're all going to be like, I'm pretty sure I need fiber. Like, uh, (laughs) but our audience is like, ha ha, you don't need fiber. That's crazy. Nobody needs vegetables. So it there's, they're all on these, you know, same sides of the coin, but it feels so different. And it's just, hopefully we can continue to go through these exercises of getting people to, Think outside what they've already been told. How can we, you know, go against the grain? <laughs> like our podcast. <laughs> so where can, can you tell us a little bit about the conference? Where can people, you know, I, I know it's in Austin, but if you yeah. can tell a little bit, what what's the date, how they can get tickets if they're interested. Are you guys doing a live stream, et cetera? Yeah. So it's natalism.org. There is going to be a live stream and um, it's, it's Austin, Texas, December 1st and 2nd at the Line Hotel. Um, and yeah, so again, day one is going to be, so we're selling tickets for day one and then a, a, a VIP ticket for day one and day two. So you can buy, you can buy, uh, the, the, uh, day one ticket and get the, the symposium and the, and the panels and the reception, uh, or you can participate in the, uh, the workshop and, uh, and, and actually like sit across from some of these people and, and, and work on something with them. So Yeah. Uh, natalism.org, Austin, Texas, December 1st and 2nd this year. So you can, yeah, you can get tickets there. Okay. And then if people wanted to find you specifically in your exit group, do you want to plug that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, 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 the men's group that I run is called exit group. It's exitgroup.us. Um, and we do accountability calls, uh, and we do meetups. It's oriented around, uh, getting you out of your corporate job, getting you into, uh, side hustles or, or basically being more entrepreneurial so that you can uh, take care of your family more independently. Potentially like my, my goal honestly is uh, to, to get, get these guys making enough money that they can have mom stay home, have mom like be kind right. of building the community around them and, um, and thereby get independent from like all of these cultural forces, like of having to send your kids to schools and things. Um, that are that are so harmful. So yeah, exitgroup.us and natalism.org, those are the two places. I don't know if we have any men that listen to this podcast, but we probably have lots <laughs> of women who could send this and that group to their significant others. Uh, so I think that will be beneficial for them. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing the conference. I mean, I am definitely interested. I think it personally just affects me because I have young boys. So sure. um, I totally get it. So I, I'm excited to see what you know, what happens from it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for your time today, Kevin. We appreciate you talking with us. Thanks everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the cutting against the grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. 
You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.